want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18. We're going to look at four faces in a lonely night. <clears throat> four faces in a lonely night. <clears throat> if you Google the words, three faces of Eve, how many of you remember that? Would you raise your hand? <clears throat> yeah. You'll get a summary of a 1957 <clears throat> film that Rotten Tomatoes gives a 93% score. Suffering from headaches and inexplicable blackouts, <clears throat> the timid housewife, Eve White, played by Joanne Woodward, pictured there, <clears throat> begins seeing a psychiatrist, Dr. Luther, played by Lee J. Cobb. He's stunned when <clears throat> she transforms before his eyes into the lascivious Eve Black, and he diagnoses her as having multiple personalities. <clears throat> it's not long before a third calling herself Jane uh, also appears. So, uh, Jane, you showed up in that movie as well. <clears throat> Jane also appears. Through hypnosis and continued therapy, Luther struggles to help Eve recall the trauma <clears throat> that caused her identity to fracture. Now, I gave you that little illustration just to illustrate or to open the idea <clears throat> that we're looking at four faces. This morning, as we continue to approach the week of Christ's passion, I've taken a text where we do see not three but four faces in a dark and lonely <clears throat> night. The night that we spoke of last week, the night after the Last Supper of Jesus with His disciples. <clears throat> the setting, once again, is the Garden of Gethsemane. <clears throat> and on the road that runs through it toward the eastern, uh, on, uh, <clears throat> there's a road that runs through it toward the eastern gate of Jerusalem, and this is where this scene takes place. Here we find not three, <clears throat> but four completely different faces in a lonely night. John 18 and verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there and with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. <clears throat> Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. <clears throat> so he answered them again, Whom do you seek? <clears throat> they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. <clears throat> so if you seek me, let these men go. <clears throat> this was to fulfill the words that he had spoken of, those whom you gave me I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and <clears throat> cut off and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. <clears throat> the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink <clears throat> the cup that the Father has given me? Well, as we look at this passage, <clears throat> if you can determine, <clears throat> I want you to see if you can determine the face with which <clears throat> you most closely identify. 
And even though none of us want to find our identity in the first of the four faces, we have to consider this one first, the face of a betrayer. Judas, Judas of Iscariot, Judas Iscariot. The name Judas may be the most despised name in the Christian world. I've never known a parent to name their child Judas. I've never known a parent to say, you look like a little Judas to me. We're going to name you Judas. I've done a lot of baby dedications over the years. I've never had one baby dedication of a child named Judas. Pastor Ray, could we dedicate our child to the Lord? His name is Judas. Never had that happen. My 42 years of memory of ministry have never had that to happen. The name Judas is ruined in the Christian world. And for good reason. First of all, the name Judas is the face of greed. Or he has the face of greed. We've all heard about people who would do anything for money. How much money did it take for Judas to give Jesus, Jesus the kiss of death? Well, we all, or most of us know, that it was 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26, 15 tells us that. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Judas asked. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Now, over the years, there's been speculation as to how much money that was. There have been people that have given this and that, and, and of course, it's changed over the years because of the value of money. But the reality is that we don't know how much money that is because we don't know the size of the pieces of silver. We don't know if they were small pieces of silver, very large pieces of silver. We don't really know how much money it was. The point is that it it doesn't matter how much money it was. And the reason it doesn't matter is because whether it's a little or a not or a lot, the amount needed to betray Jesus and to, <clears throat> to uh, bring Jesus before the tribunal <clears throat> fulfills a, a truth given in Scripture. In 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving <clears throat> that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. The truth is that the love of money is not limited to an amount. You can't say, well, I know this person loves money because they have this amount of money. That's not the measure of the love of money. The person who loves money loves it in any amount. It doesn't have to be a particular amount. And it's a problem for them on every level, whether it's a pocket full of money, a bank full of money, or a whole house full of money. Money is is not a a lover. It's an instrument of life. But people who try to make it a lover, who love it and expect it to love them back, find themselves in all kinds of of evil. It's a tool by which we navigate life. It's a fuel that helps us drive to destinations of life that God puts before us. To love it is to open a door to all kinds of evil. I'm not sure we can live in this life without money. 
I'm not sure we can navigate this life without money. But I know <clears throat> that money is not something that we're supposed to love. Because the love of it is the root of all kinds of evil. So you see in the face of the betrayer, the face of Judas, the face of greed. But you also see this, the face of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy <clears throat> is one of those dark places in life <clears throat> that's despised by everyone, including the hypocrite. Hypocrisy has no place where it finds acceptance and, <clears throat> and comfort. If you're a hypocrite, you probably know it, <clears throat> and you probably do not like yourself for it. You don't like the fact <clears throat> that you are leading a a double life. Did Judas know that he was the hypocrite among the apostles? Well, I'm sure that he knew that something was different about him. Something was different than the others. There was probably a good bit of inner conflict going on in his life as he saw the way that Jesus worked his miracles and as he saw Jesus with other people and as he saw the way the other disciples responded to Jesus. Even so, Judas was the hypocrite, the one who had <clears throat> something different in his heart from what he showed on his face. On his face, he was one of the twelve. In his heart, he was the betrayer. <clears throat> on his face, he was the committed. In his heart, he was the uncommitted. On his face, he was <clears throat> spiritual. In his heart, he was Satan. The face of a hypocrite <clears throat> is well hidden. I've heard a lot of people, and you've heard people say, well, I don't go to church <clears throat> because of all <clears throat> the hypocrites. I just don't go to church because there's so many hypocrites there. Never kept them from Walmart. <clears throat> Didn't keep them out of Sonny's. If you go to Sonny's today, I can promise you, you're going to sit amongst hypocrites. <clears throat> hypocrites are just a part of this world. People say they don't go to church because of the hypocrites. They don't really understand hypocrisy. <clears throat> They're seriously misguided. Now, there's certainly a number of hypocrites in the church. Maybe in this church. <clears throat> I hope not, but maybe in this church. But let me say this. Hypocrites are not known. You could be the biggest hypocrite in Tallahassee sitting in this church, and we wouldn't know it. <clears throat> because hypocrites are not known. They are concealed. Judas had been a hypocrite all along. <clears throat> he had been with the twelve. He had followed the closest one. And <clears throat> he had been a hypocrite the whole time. None of them ever knew that he was a hypocrite. When Jesus re revealed, and we're going to read it in a moment, that one of them was going to betray, they began to say, is it I? <clears throat> is it I? Is it I? Everybody but John the Beloved had said, who is it? <clears throat> Hypocrisy is, is a deeply hidden thing. Hypocrisy <clears throat> is the ultimate secrecy. And once it is revealed, <clears throat> the secret is no longer secret. It's not a secret. While he was <clears throat> a disciple, Judas was the ultimate hypocrite. In his face, we see the face of greed, the face of hypocrisy, and certainly the face of betrayal. Verse 48 of Matthew 26. Now <clears throat> the betrayer had given them a sign saying, this is a, from another gospel. 
<clears throat> the one I will kiss is the man, sees him. And he came to Jesus at once and <clears throat> said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Now, as hard <clears throat> as it is to consider, this is a hard thing to think about. Judas was part of the, the painting of the picture of Christ's passion. If you have seen <clears throat> the picture, the, the great uh, scene, The Last Supper, <clears throat> you know that Judas is on The Last Supper. When you come to the Passion Play and <clears throat> you see the, the disciples up here, you'll see that Judas is there. <clears throat> and Judas will be there holding the bag. <clears throat> Judas is the betrayer. Judas is, is the one who betrayed the Lord. And quite honestly, Jesus' sacrifice for our sins had a villain in the story, and that villain in the story was by the will of God. <clears throat> Jesus knew what the villain would do. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He says in Mark 8 and 31, and he began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said, well, he knew about the crucifixion and the resurrection. Yes, and he knew <clears throat> that one of his twelve would betray him. In John 13, 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, hopefully, all of us <clears throat> want to be instruments of good and not evil. And as hard as it is to consider, <clears throat> this verse shows us how hard it was even for Jesus. Judas became part of the plan of God for the sacrifice that Jesus would become for our sins. And the face of Judas is the face <clears throat> of the betrayer. We're going to see four faces today. You don't want to be the face of the betrayer, I don't think. <clears throat> but it's kind of tough. There's another face. The face of the protector. Some disciples <clears throat> are more notable than others. If I were to ask you to tell me <clears throat> something about Thomas or Matthew, <clears throat> you could probably tell me something about Thomas or Matthew. If I were to say, now, <clears throat> talk about Bartholomew and Thaddeus, maybe only Brother Larry, who's just done a, a work on a, a CD of the disciples, a commentary, which is really quite good. Hope you'll get it. <clears throat> if, if I were to ask you about Bartholomew or Thaddeus, you'd say, I'm not really sure. Were they disciples? <clears throat> One disciple that we all know is Simon Peter. Simon Peter is <clears throat> the famous disciple. He said, he's said to be the most impulsive <clears throat> of the disciples, and, and our text confirms that. Before we get to his <clears throat> big mistake, I want us to remember his bold claim. Simon Peter was the one that said, I'm going to stand with you, Jesus, no matter what, <clears throat> through all of time. You'll never find me leaving you or forsaking you. In John 13 and 37, <clears throat> Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You know what Jesus said? 
<clears throat> will you lay down your life for me? Truly, <clears throat> truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me <clears throat> three times. And like all things Jesus said, he was absolutely correct. <clears throat> Simon Peter was so certain of his devotion, but Jesus knew how weak everyone would be <clears throat> when it became clear that he would be crucified. Jesus knew how weak everybody was going to be when it became clear <clears throat> that he was going to be rejected, he was going to be scourged, he was going to be nailed to the cross, he was going to be put to death, he was going to be buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus knew that everyone would get weak in the knees. <clears throat> Jesus knew that. We all like to think of ourselves <clears throat> as being strong enough to stand. Strong enough to stand for <clears throat> our principles and certainly for our faith. But are we strong enough to stand? Are we strong enough <clears throat> to stand for our faith? How would we respond if faced with a decision between renouncing our faith or having our heads cut off like those in Iraq and other places in the Middle East? <clears throat> what would we do? If, if they said, <clears throat> renounce Jehovah God and renounce Jesus and embrace Allah <clears throat> or we'll cut your head off, what would we do? I'll tell you what Simon Peter would have done. <clears throat> he would have denied the Lord because he did do that. When the time came and a girl <clears throat> near a fire was getting warm, looked over at him with some of the other people and said, hey, <clears throat> you're one of them. <laughs> no, I'm not one of them. First denial. <clears throat> I know that you're one of them. You, you are one of them. No. You get, this is mistaken identity. I'm not one of them. You even talk like they do. You even speak in the same manner that they do. <laughs> you think that's true? Listen to this. And he let out a string of cuss words. <clears throat> he said, now does that sound like one of them? I am not one of them. Then he heard, and he went, oh no. <clears throat> the Bible indicates that he looked over and saw Jesus, and Jesus looked and saw him just as the cock was crowing. Can you imagine such a thing? <clears throat> Can you imagine being put in a position of saying, you're either going to renounce your faith in Jesus <clears throat> or you're going to lose your life. How would we respond? Well, Simon Peter, <clears throat> we know, would have responded and in a way of denying. And I hate to say I think too many believers, maybe some of us, maybe some of us preachers, <clears throat> would do what Simon Peter did. He was the face of the protector he made a bad claim. I'll tell you what else he made. He made a bad decision. <clears throat> I'm not talking about what he did at the, the fire that night. I'm talking about <clears throat> on this scene in John 18 and 10, 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, as horrific as all of this was and was about to become, it was a time for Jesus to, in his holiness, submit to the plan. It was a time for Jesus to submit to the will of the Father, to submit to his own will. Simon Peter was ready to make it something else. He drew that sword out. I assume he was left-handed because most impulsive, talented people are left-handed. And he drew that sword out and went, whoop! Cut the ear off of Malchus. Boom! He wanted to protect Jesus, and rightly so. But this was all part of the plan of God, the work of God for you and me. And and Jesus didn't want to be protected. His hour had come. He wanted to be sacrificed. I think he meant well when he was the face of the protector. Four faces in this lonely night. The face of the betrayer. The face of the protector. Then there's the face of the aggressor. The servant of the high priest who lost his ear to the sword of Simon Peter was a man named Malchus. We know very little of him, but he was an important face in the crowd. Why? Because he represented the assailant. In verse 3, so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, how interesting that Judas not only betrayed Jesus, he pulled together a team of federal marshals to carry it out. He pulled together a team of soldiers from the Roman Empire, and he pulled together a team of of guards from the chief priest and and the Pharisees. A militaristic representation to take Jesus. Malchus was one of these people. He was a servant, a guard of the chief priest and the Pharisees. He was there to initiate the process that would end in the day of crucifixion. And it wasn't long until the assailant became the assaulted. The guy who came to assault was assaulted. Shift for a moment from the perspective of Judas Judas, or Jesus or even Simon Peter to that of Malchus. Malchus who had his ear cut off. Can you imagine the panic and commotion that would have followed that day? Can you imagine when one of those who were with Jesus cut off the ear of a guard of the high priest? Fast forward to today's world. When a police officer is carrying out a duty, any aggression brings out more badges and guns than you can possibly imagine. You know how to not get shot by a police officer? You know how to not get tased by a police officer? 
You know how to not get put in a chokehold by a police officer? You know how to not get hit with, with uh, uh, the stick by a police officer? Do what they say and exactly what they say. <clears throat> when a police officer comes up, they represent authority. <clears throat> they represent the authority that biblically we're supposed to be under. So you just do what they say. <clears throat> and although we know the rest of the story, we should understand that Malchus was carrying out a responsibility. He didn't know any better. <clears throat> he didn't know any different. He may have been a family man. He, he may have <clears throat> been the nicest guy in the neighborhood. He, he could have been any number of wonderful, he had wonderful things in his life, but <clears throat> when he carried out uh, this, this uh, event this evening, he was carrying out the will of those in authority over him. I'm not saying that these were all the good guys that came to arrest Jesus, but I'm telling you, they weren't necessarily bad people because they, they were doing their duty. As far as he knew, he was doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden, boom, off comes his ear. <clears throat> what happens next leaves him Here's some more insight into the encounter from Luke's gospel, the encounter between Simon Peter, Malchus, and Jesus. Luke 22 and 49. And when those who were around him saw that he would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. There's a sermon right there, Steve. <clears throat> Years ago, I preached a sermon from that very passage. The title of the sermon was, He Touched Me. <clears throat> Jesus touched the ear of Malchus, and he was healed. We've talked about the chaos that must have ensued during this arrest and the assault of Simon Peter on Malchus. What do you think the atmosphere was like when all of this commotion was going on? All of this commotion was happening and and Malchus has his his ear cut off and, and there's bedlam everywhere and Jesus... If the ear was cut off, I assume he picked it up. Picked up the ear and touched Malchus. What must Malchus have thought? Let me ask you this. What was your life like after Jesus touched you? How did your life change once Jesus touched you. Jesus touched Malchus. Jesus touched this aggressor, this assailant. I'm not saying that Malchus became a believer, but I'll tell you this, something happened to him. 
something happened to Malchus. You, Jesus can't touch your life without something happening to you. That is an impossibility. Or you can reject, you can fight against him, you can do any number of things, but I will tell you this, your life will not go unaltered if Jesus touches your life. It's just not feasible that Jesus should touch and heal him without something having been awakened in his life. He had been touched by Jesus. There were others that came to the realization that this was the Son of God. You'll recall the centurion at the cross in Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those who were with him uh, keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Maybe that's the way that Malchus responded. Oh, my goodness. You know how when a kid pulls a baby tooth, they can't keep their tongue out of it? I used to tell my children and my grandchildren, now if you won't put your tongue in it ever, not one time, a gold tooth will grow back. You say, now Pastor Ray, that's not true. You shouldn't lie to the children like that. Well, how do you know it's not true? I've got my dentist here today. He can't even prove that it's not true. You've never known a child that didn't stick their tongue in the place where the baby tooth was. You did it. The only way we can get a golden tooth is to come and you give us one. Doc, that's just the way it works. And so I tell my grandchildren, don't pull the tooth. Don't stick your tongue in there. Or I'll see them, they'll come and they say, hey, look, Pop. And I, look at, and I oh, why'd you do that? <clears throat> You're going to have a golden tooth to grow there. Now, some of you are going to start doing that to your grandchildren and your children, aren't you? That's fine. Good. Take it. It's yours. <clears throat> Here's what I know about Malchus. He spent the rest of the day and a lot of the night, the rest of the night and the next day he's married he went home and said honey look at this do you see anything no this looks like your ear sweetheart this thing was laying on the ground just a few hours ago oh don't be silly wasn't laying on the ground that's crazy yes it was One of those people that followed Jesus cut it off with a sword. Boom! Cut my ear off. Really? How did it get back on? He touched me. He touched me. Who touched you? Jesus did. This can't be true. Malchus, that ear's never been off your head. It has been off my head. And he touched me. Amen? (laughs) We were in in sin and shame and and under the guilt and, and, and 
fear that if we died, <clears throat> we'd never be able to go to heaven. And we, and we were scared all the time. And then one day, he touched us. And we look back and we say, who is that person that used to live in this body? It's not the same. That's just because he touched you. Four faces <clears throat> in a lonely night. <clears throat> the face of the betrayer the face of the protector, the face of the aggressor. One more, the face of a Savior. In all of this scene, there is no sign of hesitancy on the face of Jesus. Now, could I tell you what I would have done when Malchus cut, when when Simon Peter cut the ear off Malchus and all this commotion? I'd have been gone. How many of you watch Duck Dynasty? Have you, you watch Duck Dynasty? You know how Phil on Duck Dynasty, whenever there's trouble going on and it looks like the game warden's going to come and, and, and all of this family are getting together, what are we going to do? He just walks away. <laughs> He's gone. Where's Phil, they say? Phil goes, that's what I would have done. Not Jesus. Jesus has already given himself to the time, the place, and the assignment of dying on the cross for our sins. Matthew 26, 45, and when he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest now. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. In the face of Jesus, you see three things, a Savior who is ready. Ready. That's an important word. Are you ready for church? I'm getting ready for work. Are you ready to go? Are you ready for the exam? Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready? When I was a boy, we used to sing, Are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready? Jesus was ready. Jesus was ready to die on the cross for our sins. Are you ready to let him forgive your sins? Are you ready? It's puzzling that people who believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are not ready to offer themselves to him for complete forgiveness. That is a puzzle to me. Many want to reserve for themselves the hope that they can save themselves from sin, and I'm not sure why. I don't know why anyone who's offered the free gift of salvation would say, no thanks, let me just have a lifetime of worrying trying to earn it. Salvation is by grace through faith. If, If we could save ourselves from sin, why would Jesus have ever lived, suffered, and died? He didn't come just to be an interesting story. He came to be a willing sacrifice for our sin. He was ready and he was, there's the second word, willing. John 10, 27, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received of my Father. 
He was willing. We often talk about the will of God. It was the will of God to give His Son, and it was the will of the Son to give Himself. This is all about the will of God. He was willing. There are a lot of things we're able to do we're not willing to do. I could go many places with that, but there are things that in your Christian walk and in your life that you're able to do you're not willing to do. You're able to study and prepare yourself for the test, but are you willing to do so? You're able to work hard and make a great living, but are you willing to do so? You're able to give to the Lord, but are you willing to do so? You're able to speak for Jesus, but are you willing? There's a lot of things that we're able that we're not willing to do. I'm sure glad that Jesus wasn't just able, and they said, but I'm not really willing. He was ready, he was willing, and there it is, he was able. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, I asked you a question earlier. So who are you? There are four faces. The face of betrayal, the face of protector, the face of the aggressor, the face of the Savior. Who are you? Well, none of us want to be the face of the betrayer. None of us do. We just don't like the idea of being the betrayer. And quite honestly, while we'd like to think we're the protector, I'm not sure that's us either. And I'll tell you this, and I can absolutely say this, we are not the Savior. Well, who does that leave? Well, it just leaves one. Malchus. We're the face of the aggressor. Wait a minute. Malchus is the one who arrested Jesus. He's the one who came for Jesus. He was the aggressor. He was the assailant. He is the one who, who put his hands on Jesus. That's not me. It is. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. <clears throat> and the Lord has laid on him, look at those last five words and read them with me, the iniquity of us all. Say it again, the iniquity of us all. We're Malchus. We're the ones that caused his pain. We're the ones for whom he died. We're the ones that he gave himself for. And here we are entering this season of celebrating the Savior and his sacrifice and his victory over the grave. Let me ask you this, Malchus. Is there any Malchus here who could not use a fresh touch 
from Jesus? Is there not any <clears throat> Malchus here who needs for Jesus, who wouldn't need for Jesus to, to touch your discouraged life or to dis- touch your hurting body or to touch your fragile family or to touch your saddened soul or to touch the place of your fears and and make you no longer fear or to touch where you're lost so you will be found. Four faces in a lonely night I don't think we're the betrayer. I don't think we're the protector. I know we're not the Savior. But we are the ones who need a touch from Jesus. And this morning, that's my offer to you. Not that I might touch your life, but that he might touch your life in whatever weak place and hurting place there is, Jesus is enough. He is all and in all.